0: My motivational guest today was born in Trinidad. His name is Troy Hadid. He's an author, a yoga teacher, and a business owner. Troy is an amazing individual. He has done things like walk coast to coast from in in Central America. He's navigated the world on a ship. He has owned a hemp store. And as I said, he's an author and a yoga teacher. So, Troy, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, pleasure, Peters. Thank you for having me, man.
0: Why don't you start off just by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, I was, I was born in Trinidad. I've lived in Trinidad my whole life. My dad's family and heritage is from Syria and my mom's ancestry is, for, is Irish. Uh, I lived in Trinidad my whole life. Like I said, I went to school in Florida and, um, I've done quite a bit of traveling. One thing that is a uh, interesting, even to me, bewildering to me, even to this day, is at 10 years old, I wrote my first letter to the editor. That was when the whole Gulf War was happening. And at 10 years old, I was pleading to prime ministers and presidents and leaders all over the world to stop fighting. And I often wonder what possessed me at 10 years old to do such a thing. Um, I went to university in Florida. And when I came back home, I opened Trinidad's first hemp store, which I am always very um, clear that this was not a head shop. This was a hemp shop. So it didn't sell smoking, paraphernalia, and so on. But all the clothes, cosmetics, all the products were made out of hemp, environmentally friendly materials. I sold that business. So I closed that business down about seven years and I opened a waste cooking oil recycling business which collected waste cooking oil cleaned it up and exported it to Europe for biofuel I then sold that business and put everything I had in an amazing and beautiful yoga community that has been alive for the last seven years or more our studio is now closed we're now online and we're reopening our studio next year And above all, Curtis, if I were, if someone were to ask me what I do or who I am, I would simply have to say that I would prefer not to lock myself into a box. I might be a yoga teacher. I just finished writing a book. I might, I do public speaking, but no matter what I do, what's important to me is that That what I contribute in some way help us all as human beings remember what it really means to love one another and create a space in which each individual can deepen their own relationship to God. So in a nutshell, that's me.
0: All right. Well, you talked about your yoga studio that you have or your yoga business. Tell us how you got started with yoga.
1: Yeah, that you know, I don't like to call it a business too much because it's so much more than that. You know, it's really a community. And uh, I, you know, even in a corporate business world, I think there's a shift that needs to happen where, you know, we say we're business and we think that businesses priorities should be financially being financially successful and making money. And the reason I would refrain from calling you a studio business is because community comes first. So I think it's a little bit different in that regard In that the community is so important, even above financial success, even while that is important. But to answer your question, Pertis, uh, I've been teaching yoga internationally for over 15 years. And people often ask, you know, how did you get into yoga? And all I know is when I graduated university, I was 21 years old, and people would ask, well, what are you going to do? And I would say, this was even before I had a hemp store. I would say, I'm going to teach yoga. And they would say, do you do yoga? I'd be like, no, but I know I'm going to teach yoga. And very often I wonder, well, how did I know that? Where did that come from? Where did that influence come from? And I always talk about my first influence of yoga or Eastern tradition in any depth, being at 14 years old. And I used to go up, I went to all-boys school, and I used to go up every lunchtime and sit down with one of my teachers, his name was Mr. Gayadin, And I would sit and he would give me all his books to read, all his books to read. And my friends used to make fun of me, right? Because there I am at 14 years old, giving up my lunchtime, my break to go and read books with some teacher. And I I used to say that I wish one day I could be in touch with Mr. Guiding again or meet him so I could tell him how he may have influenced my life. And funny enough, about two or three years ago, you know, on my website, you can make comments and so on. And usually most of those comments go to junk because a lot of them are spam. But this message came through and it arrived in my email and it said, I think I gave you the practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994 in Fatima College. And it was signed S. Gayadine. And of course, for a moment, I looked at it and I was like, no way. How is this possible? But I reached out to him and I got his phone number and I called him and, uh, you know, his synchronicity is so amazing. He, he clarified a few things to me. He said that, first of all, Troy, he said, you came to detention and then I gave you that book to read as a joke. Because he practiced a brahmacharya. It's a yogic text that revolves around sexual misconduct and how to handle sexual sexual energy. He said, I gave you that at a 14-year-old boy as a joke. And he said, You sat down there and you read the entire book that most adults couldn't even read. And he said, every lunchtime after that, you came up of your own accord to read more and read more and read more. And he explains to me, he says. I've been talking about you for the last 25 years. And I said, well, Mr. Guiding, I've been talking about you for the last 15, 20 years as someone who possibly influenced the entire course of my life. Now, what's funny is that how he found me is that he now teaches in Toronto, Canada. And he was talking to his class about this little kid, Troy Hadid, at 14 years old. And they Googled me. And so I was this international yoga teacher. And he said when they showed him, he um he almost fell off his chair. He was in awe as though he had no idea, right, what had happened in my life. And he says his email to me was really beautiful, but he pretty much said that this synchronicity without even a word, with no communication whatsoever, and he had been talking about me and I have been talking about him. And it's just, um, you know, it's such a beautiful story and reminder that there is something way beyond our understanding happening in this entire human experience, you know?
0: I absolutely know. Um, yeah. Another beautiful story is how you walked coast to coast across Central America and you navigated the world on a ship. So can I tell? People about that and and how that came about.
1: So so well, navigating world on a ship. And that was just really a beautiful experience. I wouldn't say navigating is a tricky word. It's not that I navigated, it was actually a much different experience in which for my last semester at university I got to participate in a program called Semester at C, where for four or five months it was like a floating university so I believe they had about 900 students on the ship and we navigated the world on this ship and every time we I think we went to 14 or 15 different countries and every time we docked in a country we would have five or six days to just go and explore And I think in those four or five months, I learned far more than I did in four or five years at university. And, you know, that took us, I think we went from, if I remember correctly, Bahamas, Cuba, Brazil, South Africa, Kenya, India, China, Japan, Hong Kong, Seattle. I may have missed a few, but it was such a life-altering experience. And I remember in South Africa, I actually, for about three or four days, I went up in the hills to a Rasta camp or Rasta township where I stayed with, with a guy I met, his friends and his community for about three or four days, which in itself was phenomenal. So, you know, that, just that experience of traveling opened me up to so much more, right? So many more cultures and perspectives. And after that, I came back home and I decided I wanted, um, I was seeking more growth and transformation. And one of my friends on the board, ex-girlfriend actually, she actually told me about this course, this survival program, wilderness program called Outward Bound, which you may have heard of. So I looked up Outward Bound and saw, well, they had a program that in Costa Rica, And I saw this 30-day program that took you on foot from the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica to the Pacific coast of Costa Rica in 30 days. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Now, to be honest, Curtis, they didn't tell you much of what to expect or what that experience would be like. Because if they did, I probably wouldn't have gone. But, um, you know, it challenged me in ways that I had never been challenged before. And, you know, you're, you're hiking eight to 10 hours a day with an 80 pound backpack. There were days when I would pee myself just out of exhaustion. There were days when I, all I wanted to do was come back home. And I was asking myself, why would I do this to myself? Why would I pay to be here? I even remember a time where I made up an excuse because we had no communication at all, right? At least I did, not Guides, they had guides that did. And I made up this story that my grandmother was sick because just so I could get a payphone, just so I could hear my mother tell me to come home and justify or validate my my need to quit as such. And I called and my mom wasn't home. I ended up finishing that trek. But I think in so many ways that, that trek prepared me for so many things to come in my life and helped me understand that really and truly we can do anything as long as we commit to it. And as long as we show up, the power of a mind is, is exceptional. I don't think we can, we would ever really understand how powerful a mind is, you know? So that's a little bit about those two experiences. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. So tell people what you mean by redefining your relationship with God and, and talk about your views on God.
1: Oh, that's, that's a big question, Katis. Um, I think probably most important question ever. You know, I have, I grew up in a Catholic home and I'm very close even to this day to this man we call Jesus or Christ, but I'm not. I don't gel all that well with organized religion or beliefs of organized religion, but I've always been really close to God. And I think it's really important that we allow people to redefine their own unique and personal relationships to God. And I, you know, very often I talk to people and someone might say, well, I don't really believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I understand why like i understand why someone may not connect to god or not relate to divinity or be turned away from god because historically there's so many wrongs that have been done in the name of god that if you look at history i can understand why someone might be resistant or not want to to relate to god in that way but It's really important to me that we allow each other space and we encourage each individual to cultivate their own unique relationship to God and not let anyone rob that from us. Because it's, you know, you're fortunate enough to live in in a forest for the last eight years. I go into the city every day. And I can tell you, Curtis, that there's no doubt if you immerse yourself in nature and you pay attention, there's no doubt that there is a divine agency and intelligence, that this is no accident. And I just believe that if if people, you know, we, we're always like being told what God was, who God was, what God looked like, what God wanted. And at a very young age, I think I decided that I was not going to let anyone tell me who God was or dictate my relationship to God. But luckily, I didn't allow that to turn me away from God. It actually got me closer to God in, in such an amazing way. And then, of course, my yoga practice played a huge part in that. And I just think that's so powerful that instead of someone saying, I don't believe in God, maybe they say, I don't believe in the traditional understanding of God, but this is what I believe. And we create a space for people to to connect to divinity in that way. And just to close on that question, someone once asked me, well, do you think it's important that we use the word God? Why can we not use another word? You know, like, I know in, in, in new age, now new age spirituality and so on, even in the world of yoga or, or any, anything nowadays, you know, there are different way names for God and people might talk, call God great mother or Gaia or whatever names people have for God or divinity. And I don't, I think someone can call God whatever they desire. Because it's their relationship to the divine. And I don't think divinity has an ego. So I don't think divinity really cares all that much, what you call it. But for me, it's important for me to also use the word God. Because if I don't use the word God, then I can't reclaim and redefine what that word means for so many people. And it's important for, for us, I think, to, to take God back and correct the misalignments that have been done in the name of God. Not all of them, of course. Of course, there have been amazing, beautiful people that have walked this planet and lit people's hearts on fire in the name of God. I'm not saying organized religion is bad or everything done in the name of God is bad. But if we don't use the word God... Then we create even more separation between those that usually with God and those that don't. And I think it's important for us to nurture a more inclusive relationship to the divine than one that separates us. And I could talk about this for hours, so I'm going to bring it to close with that.
0: Absolutely. Well, tell us about your book. Tell us uh, what we can expect when we read it, and where we can pick it up.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not published just yet. It's on its way to being published. It's called Popcorn in My Pocket. That name may, however, change because I am working with a team as we get it to market and we are actually maybe considering a name change. But I still want to explain the analogy because I think the analogy in itself has so much behind it. And In this book, I used popcorn. I knew the name of the book when I was like 22 years old, actually. I I put my hand in my pocket and I discovered old popcorn from the movies. And I put it in my mouth and I remember saying, popcorn in my pocket. That's going to be the name of my first book. And I was 22 years old. And what I use this analogy for in this book is, you know, Curtis, nowadays they have all these teachings and perspectives and ideologies and so much of this stuff within the realm of self-improvement and spirituality and, you know, all these teachings. And I believe so. In other words, think of that as popcorn. Popcorn is all the insights and revelations and epiphanies that we seek for and we learn over a course of our lives. But the world now is full with all of these teachings and all of these insights and all of this popcorn. And think of a pocket as a spiritual pocket. And each individual has their own individual pocket. Now, in order to really understand a teaching and really embody a teaching, we must look at how it applies to our life and put it in our pockets. If not, we're just regurgitating these teachings without really applying them to our lives. So in this book, I talk about different perspectives, ideologies, and teachings that I have have been influenced by and also come to realize in my own life. And I share stories from my life that represent these teachings, or more importantly, represented where I lack this this insight. or or examples in my life where I did not embody these teachings. And through that sharing, I invite the reader to look at not only to take my popcorn, but to, to discover the popcorn in their own pocket and see how these teachings might apply to their life. And if they connect to it at all, and I invite them to do that with all other insights and perspectives, is rather than clicking share on social media or reading a book and talking about this perspective or this teaching or this ideology, is really to ask you a question, how does this apply to my life? What does it actually mean? And how can it make me a better human being? So that's what, that's what they can expect from that book.
0: Speaking of human beings, what do you feel is the biggest issue that's plaguing humanity today?
1: Um, I think, Curtis, it's what I call the identity crisis. I think the entire world is in an identity crisis. And what I mean by that is the day I, the day we're born, When I was born, I was given a name. It was Troy. And I was told that this is my body. And you, Curtis, were probably given a name, Curtis. And you were told that that is your body. So while we are in a human experience, as long as I identify with my body as being who I am, then unconsciously, everything I do is going to hold the preservation of that body as my priority. Because if my body is who I am, then when my body ceases to exist, which it will one day, that's the only guarantee we have. When my body ceases to exist, it would mean that I also cease to exist. And that's not necessarily a narrative that I buy into because I. So much so vast. And I believe that the resonance and the vibration of our words and our actions and our thoughts and our relationships, mm-hmm. that will live forever. And we as individuals, that resonance and vibration will live far after we leave our bodies. And if I can connect to an identity that I am a part of beyond my physical body, then what that does is increase my capacity to love one another, to love others. And that goes for all of us. Because if I identify with being my body, then like I said, I'm always going to put my preservation above everyone else. And even when I start to expand my identity, you know, we, we, go through adulthood and we grow up and our identity begins to expand to our careers, our family, our inner circles, even our opinions. Imagine creators that we say things like "I a yoga teacher." Well, does that mean that if I'm not teaching yoga, I don't exist, or does that mean I can't be anything else? We even say things like, I am sad, I am happy. We define ourselves by these temporary states. Even things that, like, we just came through a pandemic. So you'll hear people say things like, I am anti-vax, I am pro-vax. Well, does that mean you can't change your mind if you identify so strongly with these opinions and these aspects of our identity? And there's so many ways in which our attachment to our individual identity causes us suffering and inhibits our ability to love one another. But if we can truly, you know, so many cultures and so many beliefs, we talk of life after death. We talk about this reality that we are part of something bigger, but then we really have to look, in our li- look at our lives and ask the question, well, we're saying that. But do we really understand that? Because we don't often live our lives like we do. And if we did, you know, for me, I connected this this individual, this amazing spiritual teacher we know as Jesus. And I was once—I remember reading once that Jesus resurrected and rose from the dead to tell us, to show us that we are part of something bigger that we are not limited to our physical bodies. And you might say that he was his son of God. Someone might say, sure. But he also said that we will do far greater things than he has ever done. And uh, for anyone that connects to Christ in any way, that's such a powerful teaching, you know. And I always also say when I talk about Jesus that for me, It doesn't, it doesn't really matter whether he walked the planet or not, whether he ever really existed or whether someone really believes in him or not. But once we can, can connect to his teachings and his message, that is what is important. That is what to me makes him such a powerful force and a powerful teacher, you know? So to bring that to a close, Curtis, I think As long as we attach to our individual physical identity and think that that is all we are, unconsciously, our choices, our decisions, and how we navigate this world will always be in defense of that identity. Our priority unconsciously will always be self-preservation. And as long as that is our priority, it will inhibit our ability from connecting to something larger and from really understanding what it is to embody this unconditional love.
0: So in your bio, you talk about oh owing privilege. So tell us tell us what you mean by owing privilege.
1: Owning privilege, yes. So I was um I was, you know, privilege, Curtis has, has to me become a bad word. You know, I remember growing up and I was born into a family that was well off. I am of a lighter skin color. I am male. I am straight. The, um, the amount of privilege I experience and enjoy, like the advantages I enjoy in this human experience, I can't even count. But I will say one thing before I answer your question. The biggest privilege in our world is not very often acknowledged. And it's not, it, it's not race. It's not financial privilege. It's none of that. It's a privilege of knowing what love is. It's a privilege of coming from a community of family or support system that actually teaches you right from wrong, teaches you what love actually is. So you know security, you know that support of friends and family. And for those of us that have that, we often take it for granted. But not everyone has that. And I think that is one That Sorry, I'm not going to even say one of That is the most powerful privilege that exists in our world today. And it's not spoken of often enough. So to answer your question, I'm going to say this. I grew up with all this privilege. And growing up, I was ashamed of my privilege. I didn't want to say where I grew up. I didn't want to say what neighborhood I lived in. I didn't even want to say my last name. And as long as we, and I believe this is a situation with a lot of people who are born into privilege. Now, privilege is an advantage. We are all privileged in some way, all of us. And while some of us may, may, um, not feel comfortable with that, understand that you can be disadvantaged in one way and privileged in another. So it's not that privilege, it's this massive umbrella. And being privileged is not, there's no guilt or shame that should come with that. No one chose to be born into any situation or circumstance. And whether someone has worked their way into privilege or was born into privilege is irrelevant. But get this, as long as we are ashamed of our privilege and we deny our privilege, it owns us, meaning that it doesn't benefit anyone else but us and our inner circles. But if we can own our privilege and see and acknowledge our advantages, then that comes with a responsibility to use our privilege and use our advantages to serve something greater than ourselves to maybe help those who in some way not as privileged as us and to serve that greater collective. But as long as we are ashamed or overcome or feel any sense of guilt or shame around our privilege, then we'll never have the courage to own it. It will own us. And with that said, it's important that we as a society also understand that being privileged doesn't make anyone a bad person. And we need to create a space in which people are encouraged to own their privilege and not be ashamed of their privilege. So that's what I, um, I refer to when I talk about owning our privilege. And it's important that we start to expand our understanding of privilege. If you have two legs and two hands, you're privileged. If you have health, you're privileged. If you can read, you're privileged, right? We need to start seeing privilege beyond the larger labels of privilege because there are so, so many privileges in our world. And the most powerful of them all is knowing what it means to be loved.
0: Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about?
1: I have a yoga teacher training coming up in September 2023 if anyone is interested in becoming a yoga teacher. But the most exciting thing I have coming up for me, Curtis, would be that book that I hope will be in market market in twenty twenty three. And while there's not there's no avenue I can say right now to go and purchase this book, I would encourage listeners to follow me on Instagram, go to my website, Troyhadi.com. And if they have any questions at all whatsoever, um, to reach out to me. I am an open book and I will be honored to help anyone in their journey at all.
0: Well you just answered my next question about your your contact info. So final question, if you had to speak to somebody for five minutes or you had that opportunity, what would you say to them? And also just close us out with any final thoughts that you have for the listeners. If I missed something that you would like to talk about.
1: Oh, sure. So this is a lot easier to explain on video, but I'm going to do my best to get this across. But the most powerful thing that, that I can share with someone in a very short space of time, Curtis, would be to have them understand how breath actually works. And listeners might raise an eyebrow at this, but I learned to breathe at 27 years old. And I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners listening now and most people live their entire lives without actually understanding how breath actually works. And if I were to ask someone if when they inhale, do they pull air into their bodies? They would probably say, yes, I when I inhale, I pull air into my body. But that's not actually how breath works. So your breath is a vacuum. It creates a vacuum, right? So if you can think of your ribcage, your diaphragm, your chest, your entire upper thoracic upper torso think of it as a box and inside a box has a set air pressure so when you expand the volume of that box what happens is the air pressure inside of it decreases So when the air pressure inside of it decreases, it means that the air pressure outside of our body is higher than the air pressure inside of our body. And one of the laws of nature and the laws of physics says that air gases move from high pressure to low pressure. So when you breathe, you don't actually pull air into your body. What you essentially do is create space to receive breath. We are breathed by an external force. And the same force breathing you, Curtis, it's the same force breathing me. And this simple perspective on breath changes the dynamic to understand that we have to create space in our bodies to receive breath. And I would go further to invite someone to look up the words because it was very powerful for me when I did. And the word spirit comes from Latin word spiritus, and it means to breathe. So I began to recognize that, I mean, it makes sense, right, Curtis? I mean, breath, it's the one thing that connects every human being on the planet. The air molecules that is inside of me right now in Trinidad very possibly will be inside of each one of our listeners at one point in their lifetime. It connects us more than blood, more than DNA, more than genetics, more than ancestry, more than opinion. Our breath connects us to every living thing and everything around us. It makes sense that our breath is some form of divine agency. So I would just invite someone to take that relationship to of breath and how breath works, I mean, that's not like yoga mumbo-jumbo. That is actually the anatomy of breath. And to see breath as some form of divine intelligence, because if you do, and this is the last thing I would share with listeners, if you can connect to breath as some form of divine intelligence, some aspect of divine intelligence, then consider that divinity, or God, is making love to you 23,000 times a day, moving in and out of you. And go a step further and consider that prayer, or what what in our world today we know we like to call manifestation. Well, manifestation is just prayer. But prayer is not something we do when we go to church or go to temple or go to mosque or go to yoga studio or it's not something we do any morning and something we do in the afternoon. We are living embodiments of prayer. If God, if spirit is moving inside of us continuously, we are living prayers. And if we want to change and impact our world, we need to bring more awareness to the things we are doing, saying, and thinking when we don't even realize we're praying. Because if every word, action, and thought was a prayer, a lot of what we do and how we live our lives is unconscious. And the prayers that we are putting out there in the world are having a negative impact on the world around us. So if we can own the responsibility of acknowledging that we are living embodiments of prayer, that we are living prayers, then we have a responsibility to live with a lot more intention and to realize how powerful each and every one of us truly is and to bring more intention to how we live our lives, our every action, every word, and every thought.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Troy Hadid, I told you this episode was going to be amazing. He's an amazing person please be sure to follow, rate, review, check out this episode with your friends, let them know about it. If you enjoyed this episode or this show, please be sure to share and tell a friend. Pick up Troy's book when it comes out. Troy, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you to listeners for listening in.